You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I would say the most important thing is what are you trying to say? Not, oh, this really cool story happened where like this guy flew out of a window and like fell and then turned it. It's like, those are great details. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But like, what's the take home a little bit? So that you know what you're writing towards. You know what the mission statement of your work is, of that specific piece is, that people know how to identify with you as an artist. Hey, it's Tony Howell. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Changemakers. In this episode, we speak with Douglas Lyons, award-winning writer, composer, lyricist, playwright, actor, and more. His acting credits include the original Broadway company of Beautiful, the Carol King musical, The Book of Mormon, Rent, Dreamgirls, Pageant, and more. As a writer, his show Polka Dots at the Atlantic Theater Company won Best Family Show from the Off-Broadway Alliance. Other new works include the world premiere of his play, Chicken and Biscuits, at the Queen's Theater, and the theatrical concert, Bow, which is set to premiere off-Broadway this fall. Douglas is currently developing Five Points, an American musical, with Hamilton's Andy Blankenbuehler. Alongside his composing partner, Ethan Pakshar, his work has played or been developed at Roundabout Theatre Company, Lincoln Center, Paper Mill Playhouse, The Old Globe, Goodspeed Musicals, Seattle Rep, Joe's Pub, and more. This episode is especially relevant for performing artists, both new and old. I want you to hear Douglas's take on higher education versus real world experiences, career evolutions or expansions, trying new things, and navigating from creative idea to first draft, to world premiere, to global licensing. As you listen, ruminate on how to use your gift, your voice, your story to change the world. Stay safe and enjoy. Douglas Lyons, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We have a lot to cover because you are a multi-hyphenate, hyphenate, hyphenate. Uh, but I want to rewind. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and when you decided to enter the theatrical industry. Oof. Uh, I always admired um, 
singing, dancing, acting sort of separately. Uh, but in my sort of junior, senior year of high school, it was brought to my attention. There was this thing called musical theater. And, um, you know, I had an obsession with the stage itself. And, I, you know, I asked my parents in high school and they got me tickets to see Wicked and I took the train down by myself and went and saw the show. And I was always obsessed with the lights and the makeup. Like I did a production of West Side Story in high school and I played Tony, all the jets were black, all the sharks were Latino. And I wore way too much makeup, but that's what I thought you had to do because it was theater. Um, so I was sort of obsessed with the world of theater. And then, um, you know, I've been singing all my life in church and dancing and dancing schools around New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut, that's where I'm from. And uh, then I auditioned very late in the game um, for the Hart School, North Carolina School of the Arts, NYU and Ithaca by tape, and Hart was the only program I got into. Um, and thank God I did, because I don't know what I would be doing. <laughs> now, <laughs> the uh, but yeah, I got the, the theater bug later on in life. I was not, you know, a crazy theater kid with show choir and dance lessons and voice lessons and piano lessons all my life. Um, did a lot of sports. Uh, was a math nerd and then sort of found my people in the theater. I'm envisioning a very glam Tony in my mind. <laughs> that Tony, I, ooh, I still remember the riffs. That Tony cared not about Bernstein at all. <laughs> <laughs> he was an original. That, he was an original Tony, okay? It was more like Tone, um, and he did it. I did it, it was great. I wanna highlight this moment because there are young actors in the audience, and then it's also something that comes up, but you actually took a year off from school to tour with Rent. So can you share about that decision for future students who face this, whether they're in high school or college? Um, what, what should the artists and what should their guardians do if they're presented with this opportunity uh, to take a sort of non-traditional path. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. I'll never forget the call when I got the call that I booked rent. And I called my father um, and I said, dad, you know, I booked it. He said, okay, what are, you know, what are they asking of you? Uh, I was a swing, so I covered six of the roles, Benny and Collins. Um, he said, how long's the contract? I was like a year and he's like, and you're going back to school. Those were the three agreements that we made. It was important to him um, that I would be the first in my generation on his side of the family to graduate school. So it was a very important. Um, I, I'm so glad I went on tour at 19 around the country. Um, I'm so glad my first job was swinging in a professional gig because I learned so much in how to appreciate and understand swings and all that they do, but also understand the workings of, you know, um, a well-oiled machine of a musical. Um, it's different for everyone. Some people you know, leave school and never come back. I think leaving and touring around the country taught me a lot about why I was training and what I needed to strengthen when I went back to heart. Um, and so it was a great sabbatical for me to save money, um, to learn personality. I mean, th training to be an actor is one thing, dealing with the actuality of the field is a whole nother thing. And so dealing with personalities and being on a bus and, you know, being in, a, in ho different hotels and, and learning my finances very early on and how I was saving my money as a businessman, it was very informative. Uh, if you are three, four months away from graduating, I would always suggest finish it or figure out a way. Like I have a friend 
who booked Dear Evan Hansen. Um, he was graduating from Hart like the second semester of his senior year. So he left, but then over the next two years he finished. And hmm. now he has his degree and, you know, he's still on the show. So I feel like there's always a happy medium, but I also think there's a version in our business where you don't have to go to a BFA program and pay $200,000 and potentially be in debt to get good training. You know, there are smaller programs. There's, you know, if you find a, you know, choreographer that you want to take with seriously and you build your curriculum in the city and you create your own curriculum, you actually could save a lot of money, um, I think, than going to an institution. So... I think training for our art form is, there's 12 different ways to do it. I have a friend who made her Broadway debut in Beautiful and she never graduated from college. You know, she, but she's one of the smartest people I've ever met. So there's no formula. I would say there's no formula to our business, but I think leaving for me was, um, you know how like nurses have to do a certain amount of time on the field. That's what it felt like for me. And I took all that training and I went back with that. Um, experience. So you graduated from Rent and then you graduated from the Hart School. Um, yes. Tell us about your first few years in the business. I've been very fortunate and very blessed to work consistently. I'm a unique story and I'm very aware of that. Um, so in our senior year at Hart, we uh, went to good speed over our winter break and workshop new musicals in their festival program. And there I met Gordon Greenberg, um, who then uh, we became really good friends and he was very supportive of my work um, and offered me, <clears throat> after auditioning, uh, I ended up working with him and Dennis Jones on Pirates, which was done at the Huntington Theater Company in April of my senior year. And we also had a partnership with the Hartford Stage Company and I was blessed enough to book um, To Kill a Mockingbird with Matthew Modine as my Atticus and I played Tom Robinson. Um, and so my second semester, I was like in school for about six weeks doing Mockingbird, doing some more classes. Cause it was part-time. I finished all my academics and then I was off to Boston and I finished like I, Steve, cause he was in the cast as well, but he like threw me sort of like a birthday moment, not birthday moment, a graduation moment, because I was like in tech, went back, graduated and came back. Um, so I've been very, very, very blessed and very I don't like to call it luck because we work for these things. So it's not luck, but I was blessed enough to have those two gigs as well as the dream girls national tour I had booked at the end of senior year. So that was to start in the fall, which I did. Um, and then I moved to New York city after graduation, passed out some flyers, I believe for Ken Davenport because I had my roommate and him were dating at the time. And then I started rehearsals for dream girls. Busy, booked, and blast. <laughs> and black, and black. <laughs> and black. <laughs> so then, uh, fast forward, you make your Broadway debut in the Book of Mormon, also as a swing, question mark? Yep, yep, yep. I joined the company um, the day of the Tony nominations was my first day of rehearsal. So when I joined, there was not even a cast album yet. Um, but I, yeah, I covered all of the Ugandans, both male and female, and was like an emergency cover for the general. So that's like 3,000 tracks. Um, what do audiences and what do artists need to know about ensemble work as well as swinging? I feel like the ensemble swings, they are the core. I mean, in Beautiful, we had super swings. Like Sarah Shepard, shout out. She was our dance captain. She also was, uh, she covered Carol and Carol's mother. 
and she did it all flawlessly. Oh my God. It, it was, it's amazing to watch. It's like a chameleon um, who at any time would have to go into a costume and go on stage for any character. And that, I think those are the most talented people in the building. Um, so Swinging Mormon for me, luckily I had rent already, which taught me a lot. Um, but yeah, it was sort of trial by fire. You didn't always get to put in, you had understudy rehearsal. One time, <laughs> one time I went on stage um, mid-show and my first costume in that track, because it was at the end of act one, was the Darth Vader costume. So I'd never done that track in an actual show, but I like walked on stage. It was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but you just gotta be ready. You gotta study. And uh, it's one of the most difficult, but I, I would say rewarding jobs in the business. I found it to be super stressful. So kudos and shout outs to you and all the other swings of the world. Yes, swing on. So then you go on tour with the show, The First National, and somewhere in this story, which I want to crack open, there's a heartbreak, there's a guitar, and then there's a chance meeting with Ethan Pakchar. So mm-hmm. what's the origin story of Lions and Pakchar? Uh, heartbreak happened top of 2012 while I was still on Mormon Broadway. It's actually part of the reason I left the city is because I was like, I usually had toured every two years between um, Rent to Dreamgirls. I, I felt like I needed to get out of New York City. Um, there was an opportunity. So um, my parents had got me a guitar for my 25th birthday, which I still cannot play. But <laughs> I started writing some stuff and doodling and singing out the heartbreak, you know, sort of oozing out and wringing out my feelings, um, which taught me a lot. Uh, and then I packed up my apartment, put stuff in storage, and went on the first national tour. And we were in Denver for like a couple of days after we had rehearsed here. And our band joined. And uh, we had a traveling band of five people. Ethan was one of those people. And so we had Sits Probe and met everyone. And I went up to him, I was like, oh my God, man, like I'm Douglas, nice to meet you. Um, are you gonna teach me guitar? Because I, you know, I have my guitar, but I'm on tour with me. He was like, oh, totally, I'll give you lessons. And, uh, and so we would hang out and like became really good friends and we'd take bike rides and then like work on music. I don't even remember him giving me a guitar lesson to be honest with you. But uh, he started playing and I would just sing. And so we would have jam sessions where we would write songs um, in Denver and we wrote a couple. And then our next city was Los Angeles and they had a local musician that was gonna be there because he was there for three months. So Ethan actually was not there, but we would FaceTime and write and keep in touch. And then he rejoined in San Francisco and we sort of picked up. And so we started writing songs organically, um, you know, in hotel rooms and backstage and between shows. And uh, we just had a vibe. It was just the vibe and it, it, was, it was a way to pass the time. Um, but I do not know what my life would be if I had not met him. So I, I, it's very, that was the inception of what Lions and Pacchar would become, but it happened a very organic way, I would say. So as a team, what was your first big break and how did that come about? Big break. Our first public appearance was in April of 2013. Um, We were invited to do the Broadway Unlocked concert series down in Tribeca. And we were actually on tour in Boston at that time, but miraculously it was on our day off. So we like traveled down and Michael Kilgore and Raina White sang our songs in public for the first time, Crush being one of those songs. Um, And it was sort of the, the moment where like, 
Um, Andrew Keenan Bolger was there. I believe um, Nathan Tyson was there that night. There were some really cool like musical theater folks there. And so that was sort of our first dab um, into the musical theater writing pool. Uh, and then we had a public live recording of our album, our debut album, Hashtag Love Live in August of that year, which was sort of our official launch. And I spent all summer because I left the tour in um, like May, June, emailing random agents and inviting people to come hear our music for this one night only event, um, which began a lot of things. So, yeah. Yeah, so I want to highlight how quickly that happened for you, but also all the work that you put in behind the scenes to expedite things. Oh yeah, I mean, I spend, especially in the beginning, and I still am this way, but like, you are your own business is my line of thinking. There's no one else that's gonna, no one's waiting for you. No one's begging you. You know, they're not looking for another new musical theater writer or another actor to show up. So if you do want to take it seriously, half the responsibility is how you learn to advertise your own product. Um, and so I went on every website of every major musical theater artist that I looked up to and I looked at their representation. And I would find a junior agent from CAA or William Morris or ICM and invite them. And we invited them to that August concert. We did another concert in April of 2014 and William Morris came a second time. They were one person that came a second time and our current agent, Michael Finkel, I was standing behind, I love telling the story, but I was standing behind him and he was mouthing the words to some of our songs. And I said, oh, well, that, that's who we want. Someone who's invested, someone who has taken the time and done the research. And he knew some songs from our album that we had done in August. And so we've been working with him now for about six years. So I'm gonna applaud your agency there of the power that you took to say that's who we want to represent us. And I think a lot of times artists can, not claim that that power or that that agency or the power of choice mm -hmm. y'all have done a lot which i'm gonna highlight but uh <laughs> what was the moment that you and i don't know if you feel this way but was the moment that you went from feeling like you were struggling to being successful I, you know, I would say that moment has yet to completely arrive because I was doing my taxes um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago and my tax guy was like, so wait a minute, where's the rest of your money for 2019? He's like, cause you had all this money in 2018. I was like, no, 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 that's it. <laughs> like, that's all we got. Um, success is internal, I would say. It is not an external uh, thing that you can calibrate and define by the world. It really has to be your own level. My, my level of success is like in the past week connecting with some students, one college student from Shenandoah, another kid who's a high schooler in Atlanta, who's singing our music and covering our songs. Success is the ability to reach out to people and move people, not necessarily like bow in Midtown in a Broadway theater as a composer, because that show could close within a week or six months and next, the, the business keeps moving on. I think success is making impact. And I think, in the past couple of years, there have been people that have reached out, um, actors of color, like I, you know, who have said, like, we didn't think we had a place or a voice, and we found your music and we love it, and we're really thrilled at what you're doing, and that to me is is success. So that's happened past, I would say, two years or so. Um, a major moment for us is when we were commissioned by the Fifth Avenue in Seattle back in 2016, 2017 to do a new musical. Um, 
and we had to write to spec songs and then got the call that we had booked, you know, the commission. And that was a pretty, that was like, okay. Cause as an artist for me, when I got Mormon, I was like, cool. I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. <clears throat> and when my manager called me about beautiful that I got beautiful, I was like, wait, I, I did like, this is not a mistake. So I think feeling like it is not happenstance and that you actually know what you're doing and there's a reason to be hired and you're professional. That turn has come in the past three years. And so I would say that's, it's felt more successful, if you will. Um, but I'm still acting to pay my bills to get my health insurance, you see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to highlight that. It's it's uh, a little bit earned that you you like start to like accept that like this is what I'm here to do and like it's all coming back to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an exchange. Also, just I've learned the business, like being in a couple of Broadway shows now, seeing who really makes the money in our field. I was like, ah, oh, yes, I might need to reevaluate some things for the longevity of my life. You know what I mean? Um, and I love being an artist. It is so refreshing and sweet. And I connect with, you know, so many people like folks like you and you keep in touch and you, you know, we all grow and change and bloom in different ways. And that's the beauty is like the connection that lasts. But it's also like, but how are you going to survive as an artist? And that, that's the business aspect, which I never let go. Let's switch gears, businessman, and talk about Polka Dots, the cool kids musical. Polka Dots. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want you to share, if you would, the creative catalyst, this idea that sparked how you got the idea. Um, and then fast forward and how it makes you feel today seeing it produced all over the place. Uh, so I pull a lot of my... Um, a lot of my material from real life events and or experiences I've had or family or friend stories. And I was on YouTube one night and there was a interview with Felicia Rashad talking about growing up in the Jim Crow South. And she's like, I was a little black girl near a white only water fountain. And I had the curiosity to go taste that water. And I did um, in Houston, Texas to only find that the water was the same. And she said, in that moment, I realized that humanity had tricked itself into trying to divide the races and how ridiculous that was. And I thought, hmm, how innocent, like how innocent the child, the child's mind, you know, like how innocent that children don't see the racism and the issues that we place upon them, place upon the world. And so that was the impetus. And I wrote like a seven page manifesto. I tapped Melvin Tunstall, whose work I had seen, his musical Bloom, um, not too long before that. And then I had just met um, Greg Borofsky, who's in the States working on his Mandela musical. And I said, I had this idea. And it's so funny with Greg. I was like, I have this idea and I really want to work on this musical. Like, how do you feel? He was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, great. So we start today. And I didn't really give him time to say no. Um, and that story bloomed into this story of this little uh, girl named Lily Polka Dot, whose skin is all polka dots. And she's moved into this square town of Rockaway where everyone else has square skin. Um, and she's the first of her kind being integrated into the school of all squares. So there's the square sprinkler and the polka dot pump to represent the black and white only water fountains. And the kids figure out um, through an experiment that the water is the same. They create this dance called the squadot, which is the, um, the mixing of both square and polka dot. And they change their school because um, they're able to love one another and teach everyone. And so four-person musical, uh, the Ivington Playhouse took a chance on us after our one reading. And then a year and a half later, we were at the Atlantic Theater Company. Um, 
won the Off-Broadway Alliance in 2018 for Best Family Show. And it's been done, I want to say, at least 50 times around the world, Guam. Um, it won the Naledi Award, which is like the Tony equivalent in South Africa for Best Family Show. They had a big production and it's it's been the gift of my life um, to be able to honor my own civil rights history um, and the Ruby Bridges and the Little Rock Nines of the world, but also to pay it forward in theater for children to let them know, like, regardless to who your president may be and what he may say, y'all can love one another and like push on, you know. We'll include we'll include the recording and, and any other things you want to send over and the resources with this episode. For sure. With that, let's fast forward and Chicken and Biscuits, your playwriting debut opens in New York, um, which I hear was inspired by some real life events in your family. Um, so I want to know how you decide what to focus on right now and then what's what's the next project you get all these ideas mm -hmm. well they i call them mosquito bites i call ideas mosquito bites and sometimes they swell and you have to like you know pay attention to them or sometimes they go away they're very small and chicken and biscuits actually had manifested itself as a different idea a year earlier and then i put that page down for a while because Bo came about and then um, when I got some inside information about a family secret, I was like, ha ha ha. And I picked that page back up and the director's company, I've been in residence there for about three, four years now. And I, the way I work is I always workshop with actors. I'll only write five to 10 pages at a time. I'll call actors in a room. I'll hear it. It'll teach me a lot. I'll go rewrite and then I'll build. I will not write an entire musical or show like without having ever workshopped it. Because what if on page 10, everyone hates that character and you've, and they're like the lead and you've written them to be this whole thing, but people are turned off. You've wasted so much time. So um, Chicken and Biscuits, yeah, we, we had a series of four readings um, in a four month period actually. And the second reading was at the Queens Theater with Taryn Sacramone, who's a dear friend and she said, you know, if we can figure out a way, I would love to do this. And some producers had seen that reading that they had co-produced and came on board. And the rest is history. Shazam. And the future. Um, you are the future, my darling. And I know you're going <laughs> to continue to inspire many, many artists as well as audiences. So for someone listening who has an itch to do songwriting, who has an itch to create their own work, uh, what is your advice from navigating from Mosquito Bite to <laughs> licensed productions? How, give us like maybe your best tips from idea to draft to world premiere to licensing. Well, it's according to what medium you're writing for. Like now I'm getting into trying to write a little bit more TV film and working on a couple of pilots, potentially a screenplay. Um, and so first you have to know what medium you're writing for, right? I always think as a businessman, Polkadot's taught me one thing. It's a four person cast. It makes it easily producible. Um, and a really small regional theater in South Dakota can put on you know, if they have a TYA slot, they can put on polka dots because it doesn't take many people. And so um, Chicken and Biscuits is eight. Bo is eight. 
uh, seven plus a drummer, and then The Moon and the Sea, which is another new musical, is six. Um, Packaging-wise, I know that regionally I'm already setting myself up so that these stories can be told in an economic way um, that doesn't break the bank of the theater, but hopefully encourages them to do a new work, right? Um, so that's something I always think about. When it comes to creating your world, I would say the most important thing is what are you trying to say? Like not, oh, this really cool story happened where like this guy flew out of a window and like fell and then turned it. It's like, those are great details. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But like, what's the take home a little bit? So that you know what you're writing towards, you know what the mission statement of your work is, of that specific pieces, that people know how to identify with you as an artist. Um, so I would say knowing what you want to say is very important. Not being afraid to... Uh, put pen to paper, like even if it seems really stupid, um, write the characters down, write the dialogue. I think what happens is a lot of people judge themselves too early on and are like, oh, this is already not good. And it's like, well, you, you don't know that just yet. You might be right, but you're, you might be wrong. Um, so something I do very early on in my process is I find a director that I trust. So I'm hearing another voice that, you know, it's theater is, it's collaboration. As an actor, it feels a little singular because you're always prepping for yourself and trying to get a job. But as a writer, it takes 13 different departments for your work to even see the light of day correctly. And so you have to honor all those departments. And one of them is direction for me. Um, very early on, I will lean on a director to go, how does this sound? And I have a core group of friends that I can send songs and text to who will read and give feedback. Um, I just, yeah, I would say don't go too far al along alone. I would say reach out to people you know um, so that it's not a lonely process. And if it doesn't go well, you're not like, oh, it's all my fault because that can happen too. But usually if you collaborate with people, you won't get to that point where it's where it stinks. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah. What are misconceptions about the work? <laughs> the work of the politics. All of it. <laughs> the work is always possible. You can always get things. You can always write something. Does not mean someone's going to read it or take you seriously or understand you or understand your voice. And you have to be, it's like as if you're running for president with your own work and you're your own campaign manager. Um, you can only email so many times. You can only take so many meetings. Um, but I, my personal point of view is visibility is key as an artist. Um, the one thing that an artistic director or literary director cannot take from you is your ability to self-promote yourself. And so some people are like, well, no one's responding, so I'm just going to wait until someone reads my play. They may never read it. So how do people know that you exist as an artist? That's why social media, I think, is a really smart thing. Um, I use it strategically. Uh, honestly, but also as a business, I use it as a business. Um, and some people don't, and some people are annoyed. And, you know, what, what's funny right now is with this pandemic, everybody has social media and that's it. <laughs> that's all you got. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, navigating the system and sort of waiting your turn. You know, uh, there's 12 playwrights or musical theater writers in front of you. And, Sometimes you got to wait, but it's worth it. Speaking of social media, what do you think is a waste of time? 
Hmm, waste of time. This is not artistically related, but sometimes like really intense conversations on social media, I've learned don't really go anywhere because if we're both at home arguing our point through a computer screen and people are watching, it feels like an episode of Jerry Springer. Um, and so I've learned to just like either have a private conversation or to not to not take the time to voice certain things on social media because it's usually a dead end in some way. Um, but I've kept in touch with family, friends, and people around the world that like, if I didn't have Facebook, I wouldn't know when their birthday was, you know? So I think it's beautiful that way. Um, cause you keep people in your orbit and, and you can keep tabs on the world. I, I like it. And then as an artist and as a businessman, what have been the most effective things that you've done on social media? I mean, part of the reason Polka Dots took off, uh, Brittany Johnson, who's a standby for Glenda and um, Wicked now, was our first Lily Polka Dot. And we did a demo recording of that first reading we had in August 2015. And within a couple of days, it had over 8,000 views. And it was being shared around Facebook. And I, like, I've met people who are like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that first video and being like, what is the show? You know, um, I've worked with, I just did a production of Five Guys Named Mo at Westchester Broadway. And like one of the kids was like, oh yeah, I found you when I was in college on YouTube. You sang this song that I put in my book. It's booked me work. And I was just like, what? You know, like, there's a, there's a pot, you never know who's watching or rooting for you. Um, and if you're trying to build community, it's the best way to do it. So Douglas, then interesting question, I hope, if you're willing, can you share the biggest failure you've ever made and what you learned from it? Mistake? I wouldn't call it, mis- I wouldn't call this one a mistake. I would call it a learning curve. Um, I had to learn the emotions that I use as an actor and were encouraged to release are not so encouraged on the writing side as far as personality goes and being emotional. And so I've had to learn, even when someone has offended me or hurt my feelings or done me wrong, how to capture and package my emotions in a response that is respectful and professional, but also sound. And I'm not reacting emotionally purely because if they're in a place of power, I lose. Um, so there have been moments in the past where I have maybe reacted not in the best way and it's turned people off or ruined deals or whatever, but sometimes I've also had to stand my ground, uh, in a way that was non-negotiable and it panned out to my advantage. Right. Um, I, I just think learning my, my, my agent said something to you. He was like, your passion is brilliant. It's the thing I love about you. You have to learn how to channel it so that people don't try to use it against you. And when he said that, I was like, aha, okay. And I learned, I learned like, cool, cool, cool. If I send this email and say those things, you're going to interpret it a certain way, although I may be right. So how do I respond in a respectful manner, but also, you know, respect myself. So that's been the lesson. And I think I've learned it well. Um, And so I tend to react, even if I have a moment, I don't respond with the emotions of my reaction. Mm -hmm. Take the time. 
So you've played in this lifetime thus far, many roles, swing, ensemble, leading man, original company, replacement, lyricist, composer, playwright, producer, on and on and on. What are the biggest myths that you see about the entertainment industry that you just want to poke a hole in? That Broadway people are rich. Yeah. Broadway people are not rich. Broadway people are not rich because between federal and state tax, you are seeing 50, maybe 50% of your paycheck every week. Mm -hmm. That's a hard job. <laughs> and you are performing for it and it's prorated and it's, you know, it's, it's, if you learn how to save your coin, you know, you can do all right. But New York City is a very expensive city to live in. And uh, yeah, it, I, I think in comparison to Hollywood, because Broadway is so flashy and it is the pinnacle of our, you know, our profession, people assume the treatment and, you know, the fabulosity of it all is the same as Hollywood. It ain't. <laughs> it's not, it's so not, the, but the art is, the art is, but I would say like the compensation not. And uh, that's, that's, that's tough because in some ways we, you know, we're always in that building. The actors are always on that stage um, and, and giving their bodies and, 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 you know, sometimes for years. So um, I think that's the slight misconception. Oh, you're on Broadway. You should be happy. Um, yeah, but people, ha you know, they still got to pay their bills mm -hmm. too. The, the other thing that hit me, you know, being on Broadway off and on for eight years is that you get one day off, one. And you miss a lot of birthday parties and you miss a lot of funerals and dinners and babies growing up. You know, there is a sacrifice to it that I think when we're training and, you know, high school and college, we're not thinking about that. But as an adult, you will sacrifice putting your children to bed sometimes or missing, you know, um, I, I miss one of my best friend's weddings because it was going to it was, I would have had to miss five shows, which is half a week's salary. And that was going to hurt my pocket, which broke my heart to have to say that, but that was the reality, you know? Inside all of that, you have many high stakes or high pressure moments. You're going on for the lead. You are going on to The View or Good Morning America or whatever it might be. As an artist or, you know, on the side of composer lyricist, what are some of your ways that you handle these uh, high stakes, high pressure, big moments, big presentations? I remind myself that I'm a professional and that I'm not here by mistake. And I have to say that to me, like say that to myself over and over again. Um, because, because when I started training, I had, I was not a theater kid, like a lot of the people in my college who had, you know, been the lead three or four times at their high school musical. I had done one musical in high school um, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I've always sort of been like, I I'm happy to be here. I'm lucky to be here. And, and in the past four or five years, it's like, no, 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 no. You're no longer lucky, man. Like, you, you, you've worked for this. Um, people think that you know what you're doing. So you owe it to yourself to own that you know what you're doing. And so it's like, let's hit it. Let's hit the gig. Let's hit the step. Like, this is what we train to do, you know? Um, and there's pride and beauty and growth in that. On the flip side, you've talked about it a little bit with uh, writing, but when you face rejection or loss, whether it's a role, whether it's a deal that you were really hoping, how, how do you cope? How do you handle those moments? It, it, took, it took about three or four years for me to 
learn that I was being protected from things that were not meant for me. And that sounds cliche, but there were, during Beautiful, there were at least two other shows that I was in final callbacks for and did not get. Those shows closed years before Beautiful will have ever closed. Years. And if I had been so anxious to move on and do the next thing, I would have been unemployed, you know, three or four years more than I was having Beautiful. And so I've learned to trust rejection as a gift and protection for things that are just simply not meant for me. Um, and, and now I'm like, you know, I'm in a negotiation right now for a thing. And I'm like, if it pans out, I'm going to scream and be so freaking excited. But if it doesn't, it was not meant. And I just have to be okay with that. Cause you know, you have to start trusting your journey and your winding road. Um, and I've never gone without. And I think part of that is just not pressing, but letting the universe sort of take over being like, all right, God, like do, do what you got to do. And you, ne- you never want to be in a room that you're not desired. It's like, you don't want just the job. If you, you know, every, I just, I want a job. It's like, no, you actually want a job where people want you in that track or you in that role because they want to work with you. You don't want to get a job just because you can hit the note because they're not going to treat you like you're special. They don't care. You're replaceable. So for me, it's like, if you didn't choose me because you didn't see me in that, that saves me because you would be aggravated if you cast me anyway. You wanting to be there, remember there's a team of people that have to want you to be there. (laughs) And if they're not investing in you and they don't see it in you, you'll probably have a horrible time. You've hit a couple of things, but I want to hear from you uh, sort of a roundhouse. What skills are essential to succeed in the entertainment industry? Determination, drive, uh, patience. Oh my God. Patience. Oh my goodness. So that, that is the one <laughs> because it's, it's probably not going to happen in your time. And just sort of like taking the reins of your own career. I, I have a lot of friends who are like, my agent isn't, my agent isn't. I'm like, guess what? Your agent gets 10% because they actually are only doing 10% of the work. Take what you want to your own hands. Don't be afraid to email people. Don't be afraid to connect with people. Even if you don't hear back. I mean, I've, sent hundreds of thousands of emails, maybe not thousands, um, that have gone un, you know, unresponded to. People do not reply. And I had to get used to that. That like, guess what? That's not personal to you, but that's how we hustle. Hustle, determination, um, patience, I would say, are essential, more than talent. Because here's the thing, like, oh, and personality. When I teach kids, I teach a theater confidence class, um, when I am casting a show of mine, I'm not just looking at the talent of the actor, but the personality. Like, are they goofy and silly? Do they take themselves too seriously? Do I want to be in a room with them for six weeks building a character? Not just, can they do the thing? And people assume, oh, I can do the thing, so they want me. It's like, well, no, but if you're kind of crazy or mean-spirited, we can feel that. And we're creating a community of artists for this project. So personality is very important, I would say, as well. Hustle, drive, determination, patience, patience, and personality. personality. Boom. Um, Douglas, how do you cultivate those skills in yourself? What do you do daily, weekly, monthly? How do you maintain that? I think it's innate to me a little bit. I think I grew up having that drive a little bit. I didn't realize I'm an only child. Um, officially I have two beautiful God sisters who are like sisters to me, but technically I'm an only child. And I've just always, it's been me. 
you know, I've had the time to go for things and, and try to get things done. So, I mean, I email a lot. I seek things out. Um, during this quarantine, I've been compartmentalizing my time and resting for a certain amount and then like up and like working for a certain amount of time. Um, also, I think investing in people uh, is a big thing and not just yourself, like helping your artist friends. Um, and, and that comes back to you, you know, when you're weak or you're having a rough time. So you, you have to sort of pull yourself up because this business just won't, it just, it won't. Mm-hmm. Is there's just too many of us. <laughs> there's too many of us. Yeah. I, I was not going to ask this question, but now I am going to, and it doesn't have to be sort of traditional, but can you talk about your team? Um, and when I say that, I mean, like you just talked about investing in people. So if you want to throw shout outs to your actual reps, great. But if you want to talk about the people that you love that like help keep Douglas to happy, then great. But who is your team? Well, see, I think... Team is interesting because I feel like I got a posse, right? Like there are folks, like pretty much everybody at Beautiful over the five or six years that I was there did a table read for me or read a roller rate or read stage directions. So like the team is, you know, are the people around you. Um, I, uh, like obviously Ethan's my team, Melvin Tunstall, Greg Barofsky um, are like brothers to me, Sean Barofsky. And so, when there's a new song or something, I'm like, listen to this before we put this out in the world. <laughs> um, you want you want that camaraderie. And so, I, and like little little people along the way, like Rebecca Covington, when we were doing Beautiful, I asked her to come and do this table read of Chicken and Biscuits. And she was like, Douglas, listen to me. You have to hold, you have to keep going. Because I was like, oh, I don't know about this. She's like, listen to me, keep going. And so there's been, you know, this maturation with the show and I thank her. Often I'll just text her and be like, thank you for telling me to keep going. And it's that little, it's that little nugget. Um, and, and people have done that. I mean, yeah, one of my best friends, Christine Dwyer is one of the first to sing, you know, our music and, and everyone who's just been like, it's good, it's good, trust yourself. Like that, that pushes me forward. Um, so I would say friends and family, my, parents have been they've been so sweet and uh especially in the past six months just uh encouraging and and they show up to everything so um like we had (laughs) in march 2016 we had our first sort of public performance of polka dots carnegie mellon did a one night performance they drove 12 hours round trip from connecticut to Pittsburgh to see that show for an hour and a half to drive back that night. Dedication, I mean, drive. Yeah. Patience. Yeah. Like, yeah, support and like love. Like that's the secret ingredient is love. And you have to really love what you're doing because you're going to get the more recent lesson for me is a lot of notes mm-hmm. <laughs> for the writing. Oh, a lot of notes. And you have to figure out how to navigate it and hold on to your voice, but really enjoy the work because it's going to be tough. It's not always a party, you know? So we haven't even gotten to talk about Bo or Five Points or all of these amazing things that are happening for you. But uh, can you just tell us what may, what you are allowed to say is coming down the pipeline? Um, Bo is uh, COVID pending. Uh, is supposed to arrive in New York City this fall. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I can say that because there was a thing that went out on Broadway briefing that we're coming off Broadway. So, um, yeah, that's supposed to happen this fall. I'm crossing everything that we can start rehearsals and everyone's healthy and, you know, the world is safe. Um, obviously, everyone's health is more important than a musical, but that is supposed to happen. Um, Five Points had a very successful reading with Paper Mill Playhouse in January of this year. Um, so that was awesome. Um, yeah, there's other things happening, what I cannot talk about yet. But let's, I can say that I'm trying to get into the TV film business and those conversations are successful right now. That's very exciting. So I've never asked this, but I, I, I'm curious to hear from you. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Woo! Um, hopefully we'll have had a show off or on Broadway as a writer. Um, a showrunner, like a Shondaland situation. Um, I want a puppy. Oh. I want, I want like a life. Uh, and it doesn't have to be New York City. Um, I want to travel. But I want to be an artist of all facets. I don't, like, I don't want to be stuck. I think that's what I've learned this year is like, love the theater, adore the theater. But being an artist means you can be all these different things. I was telling a friend of mine last night, Janelle Monet. Um, uh, who's the other one? Janelle Monet, Lady Gaga, theater girls. Mm-hmm. Like they were theater, Ariana Grande, theater artists who have become pop artists. So anything is possible for any of us. Um, and just being open to your artistry and not necessarily the lane that you thought you had to be in, I think is important. I'm going to include whatever you would like to include with this episode. Uh, but what is the best way to get connected with you? Um, I would say Productions at gmail.com, my email. Or you can um, hit me up on Instagram at Chocolate Hipster or Douglas Sings on Twitter. Um, I also have a Facebook account that you can reach out to me. We'll include all of that. Douglas, thank you for being on the show. You're a delight. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And listen, I'm a plug. We have the Bo um, Sony Masterworks album right now on all the platforms. So check that out. Thank you so much, Douglas. And thank you for listening. Since this show is about using your gifts to change the world, I want to highlight just a few things that Douglas said. What are you trying to say? Anything is possible. We live in a world full of opportunity. Stay open to your artistry and the agency that you have. That being said, get to work. Create the thing, your product or production. However, don't go too far alone or give up too early. Then. You've got to share the work. Self-promotion is not a bad thing, and you can think of it in the business lens of branding, marketing, and sales. Take note of Douglas's skills, determination, drive, and hustle, and then check your patience and monitor your personality. Every business is built on relationships, partnerships, and collaboration. Beyond that, you never know who's watching, who's listening, and who's rooting for you. 
I know Douglas and I would both love to hear from you. So take a screenshot of this episode and share your favorite moment or biggest takeaway tagging Douglas Lyons and Tony Howell. If you want to hear more inspiring episodes with other changemakers, be sure to subscribe. And I would love it if you would leave a review. Now, our website is currently under construction, but I have created a special page to feature Douglas and some of his work, not even all of it. But if you click on the link in the description, you'll be able to see some of his incredible acting production photos, watch videos, listen to the music, buy the albums, and learn more about his shows. While you're there in the footer, I would hope that you will join our Changemaker community, artists around the world working to change and make a difference. If you sign up, you'll get my free brand bootcamp alongside the latest and greatest, things like this that I make just for you. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Changemakers. Now, use your work to change the world. Maybe you and I can have a conversation about it very soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>